why are some people hyper responsive and other people it doesn't seem to be a like a kilogram a milligrams per kilogram typical dosing regime yeah and this is one of the unique features of prescribing medical cannabis that's hard for a lot of conventionally trained doctors to get their head around is you can't base the dose on someone's gender on their age on their kidney function their liver function these types of things that we'd normally be looking at to understand how a drug's going to affect an individual. It's so personal and there's huge amounts of interpersonal variability. And you'll have often older women will be, will be patients who require quite large doses of THC. And you can have these, you know, big, strong, big, strong young men who only require microscopic doses to have quite a strong effect. Okay. From, and so is that THC. genetic or is that a, like a blood brain barrier? What is it? that's driving someone to be hypersensitive and other than someone else to be able to take these heroic doses? Look, it's a really good question. I think it's going to be multiple factors and it's going to be this. For, so for someone like your dad, who pretty much had no response to high doses of oral THC. So when you have ingest THC orally, it has to be processed by the liver and go through first pass metabolism and it's converted into 11-hydroxy THC. And that's the actual active form that causes the effects and starts binding to those cannabinoid receptors. After, so sorry, that, that, 11, that 11 hydroxy, is that a different compound to what you get when you vape it? It is, yeah. Right. So you'll hear people say that they probably feel more of a body effect, a stronger body effect when they have edibles or when they use oral-based sort of THC, and that's because of the different activity of the 11 hydroxy THC. And for others, it's actually can be a more potent molecule than THC as well. So it can actually provide a much stronger effect. So you'll have Sometimes you'll have people who have been using inhaled cannabis for years and think that they've got a decent tolerance and then they are very sensitive to the effects of edibles and actually have a strong effect at relatively low doses. And then you have someone like your dad, who it's a phenomenon that is definitely known, probably understudied, probably 5% of the population, um, just at a guess, will be, don't know the exact reason, but they're probably ultra metabolizers of right. the THC. So THC gets converted to 11-hydroxy-THC in the liver, and then it gets converted once again, I think, to 7-hydroxy-THC, which is an inactive metabolite. And normally that process takes time, so that 11-hydroxy has a chance to circulate and and be active before it's then inactivated so it's, so it's not through so the much liver. That you're, so it's not so much that you're, it's not being absorbed or getting to the blood-brain barrier. It's just it's that person may be creating a whole new compound that I don't create. Is that what you're saying? Or it's just that they create the next step a lot faster, so they never right. have a chance for that potent active metabolite to, to work. So that's one theory that they're ultra metabolizers. And then the other op, and then the other potential is that they're really poor absorbers of it. So, you know, THC orally in general is pretty poorly absorbed. Somewhere between four to twelve percent would be the absorption of THC. And then it's fat it's lipophilic, so it's binding to fat. So if people are having difficulty absorbing fats or they have or they have issues in their sort of small intestine with general sort of absorption then they may be malabsorbing that thc as well and i always thought that was probably the primary mechanism for people not having a an effect from oral medications but listening to other scientists overseas miyabi shields was the one that was talking about this ultra metabolizer so it's probably a combination of the two there and then in regards to how people are affected by those compounds a lot of it's going to do with their own innate endocannabinoid system and its and its activity. And so there can be genetic changes at those sort of receptor subtypes. There's age-related changes that occur. 
disease and chronic health issues can affect the endocannabinoid system. So there's multiple different sort of variables that might be changing someone's sort of response and, to those medications. And lots of medications on the box take with food, take before food, take after food. Do you find that a lot of patients will report that they have different reactions based on what food they've eaten or when they've had it during the day? My my personal experience is if I have an edible and then have a, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but if I was to have an alcoholic beverage, Yep. At or around the same time, something about that alcohol with the edible in my gut just seems to turbocharge either yeah. the amount that, oh, I don't know, it's doing something, but I notice the effects noticeably. Def- definitely. The old adage, beer and grass, you're on your ass and grass and beer, you're in the clear. There's a definite, right. there's a definite, there's a definite interplay between alcohol and cannabis. And it's because the cannabis is metabolized by the cytochrome P450 enzymes in the liver and they're the main metabolizers of a lot of compounds and medications, alcohol and these types of things. And so generally with THC and alcohol, you'll have increased effects from both the alcohol and the THC. So that can be, and that can lead to unpleasant effects as well. It can lead to increased side effects from both alcohol and THC. So you do need to be careful when you're putting them together. But there's a whole craze over in North America where people are, I think it's called fading where they're right. using, where there's combined cocktails of alcohol and THC, which I think comes with some potential sort of risks. But if it's done way, it could make a more enjoyable experience for certain people. But then in regards to taking it with food, without food, because of the fat solubility of the cannabinoids, there's some studies showing that there's much greater bioavailability of those compounds if you have it with a fat-containing meal. One thing with medications that are ingested orally, though, is if you have if you have a lot of food in your stomach when you take it, there can be a significant delayed onset. So if there's lots of food there and it takes time for that to pass through into the small intestine, then you might where most people expect an oral medication or edible to hit within one to two hours. It might take four or five hours before it actually hits, and then it will hit you hard because right. of all of the increased bioavailability. So that can be that can be potentially something that needs to be And so how, how do you get around this from a prescribing point of view to someone who is cannabis naive? What is your guidance to them when they're first starting to take it, particularly if you're prescribing something that's orally based? Yeah, I think it's about finding a practice that's consistent in regards to when they're having it with food. So if I would normally say to people, have it with minimal food in your stomach, and, but then have some fat-containing food at the same time, as you're having, as you're having your cannabis like medicine. Like what, some nuts or some peanut butter or what? Look, of, of, of the more fat in the meal, so the larger meal is going to have better bioavailability, but I generally, for practical reasons, will tell them to have, yeah, some avocado, some nuts, some peanut butter, some yogurt, something like that at the same time. And just a couple of, a couple of spoonfuls should do the trick, but there's no direct clinical evidence to back that up. But definitely having it with fat containing food will make it, make a difference to the absorption.